Welcome to the Transform Podcast. Today I have a special guest. He is Matt Walton, our youth director at St. John's Church and School at Wash Park. And it's awesome that he's here today because the question that we have to answer is, why would a decent person like me need forgiveness? Matt, do you have any youth group stories for us today? Too many to count. Too many to count. Too many to count. Awesome, awesome. (laughs) Um, Matt Walton has his bachelor's degree from Concordia University from Irvine, California. Irvine is a suburb of Los Angeles near Newport Beach, beautiful area. And his bachelor's degree is in liberal, liberal arts, theology, and teaching. And so we're going we're gonna to tackle this question, which I think is a really important question. And I would say it's one of the bigger disconnects that mm. people have with Christianity. Because if you think you're a good person before a holy God, why would you need Jesus? <laughs> right? Jesus says he forgives everybody, but if you don't think you need forgiveness for anything, you don't need Jesus. Right. That's a pretty big disconnect. Absolutely. So if you think you don't need forgiveness from God, then there's a significant disconnect. And so I think this is a really good question that we should tackle. And if you're listening and you're a Christian and you you know the answer to this question for yourself, it still is a good question to think through because a lot of your friends that don't believe likely have this disconnect because they think they're a good person that doesn't need forgiveness. Um, And so uh, today, if you're listening, what you can expect is bad news first. We're we're here to be the bearers of bad news, so please don't shoot the messenger. Uh, But then we're going to get to the good news at the end. Sound like a good plan of attack, Matt? Sounds perfect to me. Perfect. Okay, so I was having a conversation with someone, and I think it was on a plane and this woman was like uh, talking about how people are inherently good and that's what she was going after people are inherently good most of the world is filled with good people um, and, and then there's just a few bad people but then I said how's the world doing and she goes right she goes it's a mess and then I said but then what is the world filled with and she knew where I was going. I was like, well, if the world's filled with people and the world's a mess, then what does that say about people? What does that say about humanity? Any thoughts on that, Matt? Oh, plenty. <laughs> yeah, we think about how the world's doing today. If you want to argue that most people are inherently good, but we say the world is a mess right now, that you're arguing with yourself pretty much. Um, take a look at social media. Is it full of people saying, you know what, people are amazing, people are awesome, or is it mostly full of people, mostly is a harsh word, but is it full of a lot of really negative content? People bringing down on each other, complaining about this, complaining about this, pointing out holes in other people's logic and thinking and behavior. There's a lot of real, there's a lot of negativity online, and I think that is a reflection of what's going on in our hearts. Absolutely. And so definitely you see that, especially if somebody does uh, slip up or not meet someone else's moral standard, social media is a quick place to shoot people down, Mm -hmm. right? Especially if if they've messed up. But yeah, so I would say the world is not doing well and it's filled with people. And if you just were to kind of investigate just each city, each state, like how things are going, um, and you look at 
uh, other parts of the world. It's a real ugly place. Um, and then there's this question that I typically ask people is, who do you trust in your life? And Ooh. then when I ask people that question, there's usually like one or two people, right? But a lot of people have uh, created distrust. What I hear from people is, I don't trust a lot of people because everybody's out for themselves. Everybody is kind of just self-centered and selfish and doesn't have the, the best interest of the whole ship in mind, but they have their own. Um, and so uh, what's your experience with that whole idea of who do you trust people? That, that is a really hard question to answer because there's, you want to say degrees of trust. Is there anybody I trust 100%? Yeah, that number is small. I mean, 100%, meaning I can always count on them to do what I expect to be right in my eyes. Um, but it drops off significantly there. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with people, and you've probably had them, and people probably talked with you about this, the fact that it takes a long time to build up trust, and it mm -hmm. takes a half of a second to destroy it. Right. And rebuilding it after that is really, really tough. But on like 100% yeah. trust, ooh, yeah, there's definitely some people in my life, and they are the people who are closest to me and that I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so Stephen Covey wrote the book, The Speed of Trust, and he said from a character perspective, uh, people can lose trust like that. If you have an, a, a moral lapse in judgment, moral lapse in your character, you can break trust uh, in a heartbeat. And then he says that for some people, uh, recovering that trust takes a long time. And so, um, so I think, so like so far what we've said is people say, um, you know, people are all really good, but yet I don't trust anyone and the world's falling apart. <laughs> so it's kind of, this is a, so I think we have to think through our narratives. Now, with that said, Matt, a lot of people that are listening and are skeptical would say this. So far, you've proven that uh, Vladimir Putin is bad and the world has evil people in it. Uh, but, you know, I am a, a good person. I am a decent person. But here's where I would go next for our next talking point is this. There is something called civil righteousness. So that is our relationship before others. That's our relationship with the civil law of the land where you live. And from that perspective and according to that human standard, yeah, there are some good people out there. Mm -hmm. There is. But see, the question that we are answering today is not that question. We are looking at not the horizontal dimension of our relationships, but we're looking at the vertical dimension of our relationship with the holy and perfect, just and righteous God that created us. So when we ask the question, why would a decent person like me need forgiveness from God? We're looking at the vertical dimension, not the horizontal. And those are two different dimensions, aren't they, Matt? Absolutely. If we think about being in a relationship with someone, if I was married to somebody and this person, you know, I vowed to take care of and to love and to honor and defend in sickness and health, rich or poor, and they did the same for me. And you know what? They try to make me happy. They, they do things that they know I appreciate. And I make no effort whatsoever to have a relationship with them. 
people are generally not going to think that I'm a very good spouse to this person. They love me, they care for me, they're everything, and I don't even give them a thank you. I don't want to spend time with them. I do everything I can to avoid them. Um, just general kind of nonchalant attitude towards yeah. them. People are going to say, you definitely don't love that person. You definitely don't want to be in a relationship with that person. I think about that, about that with my relationship with God, with how often he's providing me with things, wow. how often he's giving me things that he knows I need. Sometimes there's things I want he knows aren't good for me, and so those are the things that I don't always get from him. But then the number of times that I ignore God, I think people could definitely point at me as a spouse or as somebody in a relationship who doesn't want that relationship. That is, a, that is a solid analogy you are giving us right now as we dive into this next talking point. You're giving us a marriage analogy, mm. which is uh, you're likening it to a relationship with God. And you're saying, like, what happens if we just are disinterested, that we find our significance in other things? Um, what, what, what does that look like for a God who put breath in our lungs, who's given us our body, mind, soul, and spirit, mm. who's given us everything we have? And what we're about to walk down into right now is the first commandment. The first commandment is something about uh, what God desires from humanity for their flourishing. So all of God's commandments are for our good, for our flourishing. And the first one simply has to do with a relationship with him. And right. he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Um, but what we find is we all have what's called a God complex or uh, what the Bible calls idolatry. We make other idols mm -hmm. in our hearts. St. Augustine, who's a fifth century church father, calls it a love complex in that we are created to love God but yet we love so many other things, people, and places that are not God. Um, and so here's where I would go with this. Uh, this is a quote from Timothy Keller, who is um, the retired pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. He's a, a world-renowned Christian author. He says this about idolatry, and this is kind of uh, unpacks it for us. He says, if I have that, you fill in the blank that today, then my life will have meaning. I'll have value and feel significant and secure. Whatever that is, that is the object of your worship. Now, Matt, I guarantee you, if I asked 100 people what that is, my experience would tell me it would be a lot of things, but it wouldn't be God. <laughs> What is it that it takes to make you feel secure in your life, to make you feel like I'm doing good, I don't need anything? Most people aren't going to say a loving relationship with my creator. That's, I'll admit, that's not, that wouldn't, that probably wouldn't be my first answer either on any given day. And it should be. And it shows you how, yeah, thinking about, well, I need this level of success in my career. I need this relationship to be going well. I need these people around me. I need these things. I need this security here and there. Then I'm going to feel, well, security secure. Yeah, but most people say, well, all I need is a loving relationship with my Father in heaven, and I'm good. Yeah. Right. Usually, I bet you get that for your Sunday school answer, don't you? Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> what do you really need? You're like, I need Jesus. Right. Yeah. 
but you're telling me what you think I want to hear because I'm your Sunday school teacher right now. <laughs> right. What That's is right. it you really want? I yeah. want my fantasy football team to win this weekend. Oh. I want a new car. <laughs> I want I want to oh, date man. with this person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, We. I think going down the road with some people with fantasy football will already start to reveal some things. Uh, but... <laughs> But seriously, Matt, I think you are, I appreciate your appropriate vulnerability today. And I also can have that here today too and say, my goodness, I would answer this in different ways. If I have that, then my life will have identity, meaning, security. Um, So often it it could be like, I need to have a growing church or else Mm -hmm. I'm a failure. Or um, I need to have peace in my uh, surroundings or else I'm going to have anxiety you know and there's probably other things I could share that in ways that I would fill in the blank even though I know the right answer here right and so now when it comes to idolatry what we believe is we look to that God that we're substituting for the true God to deliver us and make us happy so in other words if it's money if the stock market's up and we have a lot of money, then that's our functional savior that gives us peace, security, and joy. But then what happens if there's a crash? What happens if we Mm -hmm. lose it all and we uh, get sued or uh, we don't have insurance to defend ourselves in a a predicament? What would happen if we lost it all? Um, If you are worshiping money, it's gonna be a crisis. But if, now don't get me wrong, you should be disappointed if you lose money. I mean, any human being should be. But I think what God is saying is this. If you worship me and you center your life on me, I'm going to get you through the storms that those false gods are providing for you when they don't come through for you. And that is the good intent that God has for our flourishing with all of these commandments. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that? Man, um, you think about somebody who had a lot and then it was taken from him. You think about Job. Oh, wow. Um, The faithfulness that that man put forth Mm. was simply amazing and makes me feel shameful at times when, (laughs) you know, oh, my my internet went out of my house and suddenly I'm in a bad mood and I'm upset. Um, Yeah, but I still have a lot of wonderful things around me. Job lost a lot. He still remained faithful throughout it all. And if you ask Job what he needed, he said, I need more God. Yeah. I, need more, I, need, I need more of my Father in heaven. I need more of this loving God, Father who I know who loves me. But everything else around me is failing. But I know he still remains strong. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep, that's where I'm at. <laughs> I, think, I think Job's an example, a positive example. Thank you for giving us one of those yeah. today, Matt. I think what we've shared thus far then is we all have a God complex. We all make other idols. But then I want to kind of continue this idea of our relationship with the Holy God. And then what are his standards? So his standards are what matter because he made us. If he made us, he gets to have standards. Now, sometimes human beings don't like that because it's like his standards are too high. But I want to just flip that for a moment. When I look at social media and I look at how people evaluate and judge other human beings, I would say humanity has standards that are pretty rough too. And we like to find fault in people. We like to shoot down other people. Um, So we all have standards. Does God get to have his? 
and I would say, if we believe he created us, then certainly he does. And so God's moral will for human flourishing is called his law. His first commandment to us is to have no other gods before him. But I'm just going to walk through a few things <laughs> that he also says that are good for our human flourishing. And I'll let you comment along the way. How does that sound, Matt? Sounds perfect. Okay, so he says he desires a consistent commitment to Sunday worship and putting him first spiritually in our lives for, to, so that he can spiritually recharge us. How are we doing at that? So he's asking us for what, an hour and a half to two hours a week? He's asking us for an hour and a half, uh, which is probably about 1% of our week, but like we've- Doesn't we... <laughs> seem like a big ask, but um, you know, there are some seats available on Sunday morning in that sanctuary. Yeah, there's seats available at churches all across, wherever you are. Um, and, but so often we see so many other substitutes for that. Mm -hmm. So many other places to go for spiritual recharge, right? Um, and then check this one out. He desires consistent honor to those in godly authority over us. I specifically put the word godly authority because we're assuming uh, in this instance, in God's perfect design, someone who's in authority, who's a good uh, leader. Uh, but my goodness, how often are we skeptical of those in authority? We distrust those who are in authority. We gossip and slander those who are in authority. Like, my goodness, we are really good at that, aren't we? No, it, it's really easy because we hold them up to a higher standard because they are leaders. We should hold them up to a higher standard. So anytime that they don't meet those high expectations we have, yeah. And then we stop and we think about God of the highest standard. Does he measure up when we hold him up to it? We compare how he consistently is faithful to us to how inconsistently we are faithful with the authority and responsibilities that have been handed to us because we're all authorities over something. Mm -hmm. But my goodness, yeah. Um, it's, it's fun to poke fun. It's, poke to say, it's fun to look at somebody and say, yeah, they're not exactly doing what they're asking me to do. I bet if they had this job, they couldn't, keep, they couldn't last one day. It's really, really easy to compare ourselves to them and try to make ourselves feel, feel bigger and more puffed up than those authority figures that are over us. It's easy to find fault in a leader, right? Mm -hmm. But then it's like, I think a lot of Christian leaders are truly doing their best, yeah. but yet they are the most criticized people on the planet. They're humans um, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so here's another one. God in his perfect will for human flourishing wants no unrighteous anger, vengeance, rivalry, or conceit. And he says that we can commit murder in our hearts when we have it out for somebody. We want to get them. We, we just have this hatred towards them in our hearts. And um, have you ever seen that develop, Matt? <laughs> so... One of the other hats I wear here at St. John's in Wash Park is I'm the middle school administrator. Oh my goodness. So if a kid doesn't behave in the most classroom appropriate way, they get to come talk to me. And believe it or not, they don't always feel they're in the wrong. And when I tell them they are in the wrong, I bet you if I could read their thoughts, I, I'd, even I would be surprised at how angry that they could probably be at me or the person who got them into trouble. And you know what? As adults, we like to think that we're mature and above that, but we're really not. 
Are you saying that even adults don't like to take ownership of their wrongdoings? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Huh. I've, I'm I've had I'm... that experience too, Matt. And <laughs> what I would say is, I think that's a historical issue. I think Soren Kierkegaard, who is the Danish philosopher, said, um, human beings will do everything but confess their sins. They'll do everything but admit fault. And so what we call it today is ownership. Ownership, taking responsibility. Uh, sometimes what will happen too is like, let's say an athlete uh, has to take ownership of something. Usually a lawyer, lawyer will write it for them. And then even after they make their public statement of ownership and responsibility, I take full responsibility for my actions. They usually get smeared after that because no one trusts that anyone's taking responsibility for their actions. Um, so that's the culture we live in. We do a lot of, we have a lot of rivalry and blame. Mm -hmm. We tend to avoid taking responsibility. So um, here's another one. Uh, no slander, no gossip or lying. Uh, how I are we doing with that one, Matt? I mentioned social media earlier, right? Social media? Is that pretty much what gossip is, is talking about other people and putting I've opinions out there? I've never seen any gossip on social media. <laughs> I don't know what you are looking at. I don't, I don't know. Okay, you're um, on a different internet Yeah, you than must I have am. different friends than I do, man. I don't know. Um, well, I'll tell you about this one friend of mine that gossips all... That's gossip, so I can't tell you about that friend. Okay, that so you're, you're doing a rhetorical really device easy. today. Yeah, trying a rhetorical, rhetorical device. This is good. This is good. All right. I think, I think, we've, I think we have, um, probably if people have gotten this far, they are like, okay, you guys, we're sinners. All right, fine. We, uh, and then Jesus says this when he summarizes all of this. He tells the religious people in their day, because they were like, hey, we're good if we keep our human traditions. That's what makes us good. And then Jesus goes, no, that's not uh, what God is after. He's he is after the motivations and affections of your heart. And he says, in our sinful nature, so there's that word sin, which we'll define. He says, out of the heart comes self-centeredness, rebellion, anger, slander, rivalry, greed, and coveting, which is where you want like another house that doesn't belong to you, or you want everything, all of the possessions of the world that don't belong to you, that belong to somebody else. And he says, out of the heart comes an impure sexual imagination as well. Jesus calls that lust, right? So um, out of the heart is where Jesus is getting at our motives. Um, and so uh, what I would say is this, no one measures up to a holy God. Um, everyone needs his forgiveness. And here is the beauty that we're going to go to next, which is the good news. You ready for some good news this morning? Ready for some gospel. Hey, let's go into the gospel, Matt. And the gospel is this. Jesus is God's son who comes into the world to, he comes into the world knowing that we need rescue. Hmm. Okay, so we're, we're, we are in a place where we're in danger. We're in danger of ourselves. We need rescue. We need, uh, he also uses the word renewal. Mm. We need a new beginning. We need a new identity. And that new identity, he wants us to find in him. So here's what he does. He goes to the cross to take away our sin 
all of our sin, that is, a sin is anything that doesn't measure up to God's holy law, it's all transferred to Him. So He's taking our guilt, our punishment, He's making what's called atonement for sin, to repair our relationship with a holy God. Um, and then it says that if we accept His sacrifice, even though we're guilty people, God takes the mm. sacrifice of His Son as our substitute. And then he declares guilty people not guilty. Amazing. And Jesus says, I am guilty in your place. And then Jesus rises again from the dead to conquer death. And then with that spiritual new life, that resurrection new life, he says, since you've put your faith in me, I'm going to give you a new identity. That mm -hmm. new identity is that your life can not be defined by what you do or by what you have done or by what has been done to you, but rather you can define your life by me and what I have done for you in my grace and my love for you. Isn't that awesome, Matt? It's amazing news. It's amazing news that at the end of it all, we try and try and try and think, yeah, no, I'm a pretty decent person. But then when we look at the measurements that God has up and says, no, you need to be like my son. Well, I can't do that all the time. Right. And then, I mean, Jesus even had this discussion uh, with people and they just kind of tossed their hands up and said, well, then who then is worthy of heaven? And Jesus says, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one mm. comes to the Father except through me. He's coming to save us from our sin. And it's a free gift. It's a free gift. And, and I just can see the look on your face today, Matt, that uh, the Tim Keller quote goes like this. He says, the more we are aware of our sin, the more electrifying God's grace is. Ooh. So I could see that God's grace has electrified you today and you are just grateful for it. And I think that that is why a follower of Christ starts to respond to Jesus in obedience because we're grateful for what he did for us. Jesus also gives us a new heart. Mm. So that means, he says, I'm gonna give you a conscience that's alive to me. So you've have, you have a conscience that's been desensitized. I'm gonna give you a conscience that's alive to me. I'm gonna give you a new heart. I'm gonna give you a new motivation. So he says, I'm gonna take away your heart of stone that was hard, but I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh that is filled with my spirit and now the Christian has new desires, new affections, new interests, and it is fantastic. And then here is why this all matters. He gives you new hope to live a new life. And this matters because it matters for your relationship with God for all eternity. We're not just here and then we're going to die and rot in the ground. Right. But rather, this is about an eternal life that he's giving to you today that begins today, but then lasts forever. Mm. And then he doesn't just say it and promise it, but he backs it up with his resurrection from the dead. And so I love that Phil Wickham song so much. Um, it's called Living Hope. Mm. And I love how he tells the story of the gospel in that song. But I also love that he doesn't just talk about hope as only a, a future concept, but a living present hope that we have now because we're certain of the future that we have with Jesus Christ. So, so in other words, wow, you're going through a really hard time. You're in the hospital. Your friend has cancer. Your dad just passed away. Something's really going bad. 
this is a living hope that we all are going to need one day. And a holy God is coming through his son to say, I am that hope for you. I've risen from the dead, which is a problem that is going to assault every human being. But I want you to know this. I've conquered it. I've risen from the grave. I've beat it for you. So now I want you to trust me and center your life on me. And I give you new hope to live a new life. What do you think of that, Matt? Amen to that. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So this is like what you said. We need some gospel today. Yep. And that is it right there. Amen. <laughs> Amen for that gospel. I love it. If you're listening today and you're kind of on the fence with the whole Christian faith, we hope that as you've heard this good news, that Jesus reconciles you to his father through his death and resurrection. The Bible says that the way to receive that is with two words, repent and believe. Repent is turn away from the self-centered life. And then believe is simply receiving, okay? You're receiving what he's done. Yeah. He's done it all for you. You get to just receive it and say, I receive it, thank you. And so if you're listening today and you want to do that, we would certainly invite you to do that. Uh, let another brother or sister in Christ know that you know, let a pastor know, uh, find a, a church that preaches this good news regularly because you're going to need to hear it over and over again, right, Matt? Yes, and even better than just somebody at your local church or you or I waiting for this person, he's waiting for you too. He's Ooh. ready. God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is ready to enter your heart and give you this new life, this new identity full of hope and a certain future. That is awesome because you just remind me of in the parable of the lost son, when the lost son comes mm. home, the father's waiting with arms wide open. And you know what's cool is he throws a dance party. Throws a dance party, <laughs> dance party and a barbecue. Dance party. I think party everybody's behind that. And a barbecue with yeah. steak yeah. is what it says. So yeah. that's the kind of heavenly father we have. He's so happy when throughout your life he's been, he has been knocking on the door of your heart. And then there comes a point where he opens it yeah. to him and he opens the door to him as you hear the good news and you say, I'm going to receive this and walk through these doors. And um, so if you were encouraged today by the message of the bad news first and then the good news afterwards, we want to encourage you to follow and also share this with any of, any of the people around you in your life that you think would be encouraged by this. Um, if you have a question that you'd like us to tackle on this podcast, you could submit it to hello at sjdenver.org, and we'll see you next time.